welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 41 for Cinco de Mayo 2011. <laughs> yeah, so today's Cinco de Mayo, but uh, the earliest anybody's going to listen to this will be July. <laughs> A while <so>. from now. <laughs> uh, if ever. So, yes, good. If ever? What are you talking about? And this is a good episode. I'm liking this episode because I'm digging zombies, and uh, these zombie Star Trek ones are pretty good. Yep, so we're closing out the Star Trek The Motion Picture era. Uh, when we originally scheduled all this, uh, last week's episode was going to be the end, but while we were recording this series, IDW came out with their Infestation crossover, and they chose to put the Star Trek stories in the post-motion picture era, which pleased me to no end and I so it was a nice it was a it was a way that we can close out this series with a fairly incredibly f- uh, recent comic book story that makes sense makes sense all right go ahead <laughs> <laughs> no um so uh, are you going to give the, the, the background to the whole infestation thing before yeah. we launch into these two Star Trek-specific books? Sure. So uh, a couple of months before this started, and these started coming out in January. So at the end of 2010, IDW started putting out flyers and stuff that they were going to have this big multi-franchise crossover. So usually comic book companies that have actually licensed franchises – they can't really cross them over with anything, so you don't get a Star Trek Star Wars crossover, even though both of them were being done by Marvel at the same time. So uh, to kind of get around that, IDW had the idea of that they would create a zombie infestation that would then cross over into four of their franchise licenses, which was Star Trek, Ghostbusters, G.I. Joe, and Transformers. So even though the four franchises weren't crossing over with themselves, they were still having to contend with this this same zombie infestation. So it was actually kind of a cool way to get around the we can't cross over with our other book stuff. Cool. Yeah. So it all started off with a, a kind of a bookend of infestation number one. And then it branched out into the four franchises. Each one of those had two issues, and then there was a, a closing book bookend, which was Infestation Number Two, which kind of tied everything together. So basically, what we're going to do is we're going to go over very briefly Infestation Number One. Then we will review Star Trek Infestation Number One and Infestation Number Two in the detail that we normally do our Star Trek reviews, and then we will very briefly go over. What happened in G.I. Joe, Transformers, Ghostbusters, and then Infestation Number 2. So those will be very high level. Um, I re- highly recommend anybody to go to your comic book shop, pick these up. I'm sure by the time we get to publishing this one, it'll be released in some sort of trade. So 
give it a look. They're good. Agreed. All right, so very briefly, we'll go over Infestation number one. This was released January um, January 26th of 2011, and again, this is super high level here. This story is actually based in what's called the IDW-verse, which is uh, all the IDW-owned um, characters, so the, the, the series is that they've they've released they're not licensed like uh like one of these these other four so basically in the IDW verse there's a there's an organization called CVO which is uh, a special ops team of vampires that battle evil supernatural threats so kind of like a BRD from Hellboy um or maybe even X-Files a little bit except everybody's a zombie or a demon or or vampire so the team is sent to investigate a zombie in- invasion from another IDW universe. Um, and that universe has a series called Robots vs. Zombies. So basically they're, they're tying in two of their, uh, their own universes here. So the, zombies, the zombie horde from the um, Robot vs. Zombies universe is controlled by what's called an Undermind. Um, and this consciousness is so powerful that uh, one of the zombie personnel of the CVO team is overwhelmed and he ends up biting uh, one of the vampire teammates named Brit. So they didn't think it was going to be a big deal because she's already undead so she can't become a zombie but unexpectedly she does start turning into a zombie and becomes the voice of the Undermind in kind of a board queen type role. Brit is able to open up the dimensional portal into four separate dimensions. She splits herself into four versions and sends a copy and uh, several zombies into each dimension. And then the last shot shows a picture of the four dimensions, and you can see that one is Star Trek, one is Ghostbusters, G.I. Joe, and the last one is Transformers. And that's that's how it ends. So that was the first one kind of sets up why this zombie infestation is going to happen in the four other universes. Right. So, and like and tease up our first comic for the day. Yep. So uh, we're going to do... You're going to give us Star Trek number two. Or, I'm sorry. I'll you're going to give us Star Trek infestation number one. Exactly. February 2001 is the published date. Writers are Scott Tipton and David Tipton. Pencil finishes and inks by Gary Erskine. Sorry. Uh, pencil layouts by Casey Maloney. Colors by Luis Antonio Delgado. Letterer, Chris Maury. Editor is Tom Waltz. Assistant editor is Bobby Curro. The cover shows Kirk, Spock, and two security men on alert on a spooky, foggy planet. There's a full moon. McCoy looks concerned as he helps a third security man who is on one knee and holding his head. The title Infestation is at the top with Star Trek in Taw's original series font beneath. The inside cover shows a little preview of zombies attacking the landing party. A quick update on the overall Infestation series tells us that in a different dimension the zombie hive mind has taken over the vampiric a uh, soldier uh, codenamed Brit, as Donovan has mentioned, and she has spread the zombie apocalypse to all dimensions. To what extent the infestation spreads throughout these four dimensions is yet to be seen. 
Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and three security men are in a shuttlecraft departing from the Enterprise, who will be resupplying at Starbase 37, the Enterprise. In five days, it will rendezvous with the captain and party on Calibus, where Dr. McCoy will be honored for his work bringing the Arpalian virus picks under control in that system. McCoy is complaining about the award and wasting everybody's time on this side trip. He does not need an award for doing his job. Kirk tells him to relax and enjoy the planet that is renowned for its beauty. On approach, unfortunately, all their hails have gone unanswered. They land on the planet, but find no one to meet them. They take sidearms until they know where everybody went. They exit the shuttlecraft and spread out to find someone. Kirk and Spock discuss the situation. Spock says last contact with the planet was 14 hours ago. So they say whatever happened, it happened fast. One of the security men finds what appears to be a dead man. McCoy examines him and gives his number one line. He's dead, Jim. Unfortunately, the guy turns out to be a zombie. He opens his eyes when McCoy's back is turned, takes a bite out of one of the red shirt's hands, and moves away from them. After he has some space, the zombie turns and moves towards them. The landing party fires phasers on stun several times with no effect. As it dawns on them, the phasers on stun can't stop them. McCoy realizes others are approaching on their position from multiple vectors. They spot an entryway in a lower portion of the building they are next to and they head for it. There are more creatures in the building. Kirk grabs a long wooden board and clobbers the two attackers with it. As they continue to advance on the landing party en masse, they are at a loss to explain the colonists' appearance or their behavior. The red-shirt security men want Kirk's permission to switch their phasers to full power. Kirk says no for now. These are colonists and innocents, so Kirk wants to use non-lethal force as long as practical. They make their way to the administrative center to see if they can find someone in charge, when suddenly the bitten security man, Padilla, falls behind. Almost doubling over in pain, then suddenly another red shirt comes to his aid and is bitten in the neck by the zombified Padilla. Kirk does his best Babe Ruth impression and cold cocks Padilla with his trusty wooden board. More colonists arrive on their position. The last healthy redshirt, apparently not grasping the situation, helps the just-bitten guy in the neck as the more intelligent bridge crew kick up their heels and break into a full run. As they leave the area, McCoy claims that he thinks he understands that it's a virus. They make it to temporary shelter and try to help Barnes, the second security man, to be bitten. McCoy tries to help him, but it's obvious the same viral infection that changed Padilla is changing Barnes, but apparently much more slowly. Eventually, Barnes dies. Then the landing party gets out of there before he wakes up, as they expect will happen, like happened with Padilla. They continue to make their way to the administrative center in search of information, when another zombie pops up and almost gets McCoy. 
Instead, the last redshirt, named Amig, knocks McCoy to the side and is bitten by the zombie. One, two, three strikes, you're out, in the old zombie story. Spock takes out the zombie that just attacked with a metal bar and frees Amig. McCoy tries to thank Amig, but he tells McCoy he was just doing his job and they need to move on before he changes. They do just that and see that Padilla and Barnes are moving back towards the shuttle. They don't think that the zombies can fly it, but they turn out to be wrong as the two security men remotely access the shuttle's controls via their wrist communicators. Kirk uses his wrist communicator, apparently on subspace mode, to send Scotty word that they are in trouble and for the Enterprise to get to them as quickly as possible. Also, to not let the Conrad, which is the shuttle they came down in, land on the Enterprise, and do not send down a landing party to the planet unless they can contact Kirk and Spock first. Kirk orders General Order 7 on the planet, so no contact under any circumstance if they can't contact the landing party. To prevent the zombified red shirts from taking off and spreading the infection further, All three use their phasers on full to blow up the shuttle. A bit of an overreaction, if you ask me, especially if it's the only way off the planet. The explosion brings even more zombies, so they move on to the administrative buildings. Once there, they find no one, but are able to download the colony's pertinent records to Spock's tricorder. Though most of the colony's tech is inactive, There are large power spikes four miles away in another set of structures. They will have to make their way to those structures across open country so they get to it. On a path in the woods, they come across a zombified deer-like animal. Suddenly, it's attacked by a dozen zombies that come out of the trees that line the path. The next panel shows the thrilling threesome, knee-deep in attacking zombies and swinging metal bars. Suddenly, Kirk says the magic words, Run for it! And magically, they escape, and we next see them entering the chain-link fence surrounding the perimeter of some kind of large dish transmission installation. As Spock begins to work on the locked door to the main building, dozens of zombie colonists knock down the fence and end up falling over themselves. There's so many of them. Next, they get up and begin to close in on our heroes. Kirk tells McCoy to get his phaser out and to set it to full power. McCoy says they are innocent people and won't do it, but Kirk says he knows what they are as he raises his gleaming weapon in defiance. To be continued. So, end of that first comment. He says he knows what they are, but I don't think he does. I one one thing I was that was just coming to my myself is they never use the word zombie. I mean they 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 don't seem to know what they are, and it's like in past issues, uh, comics, and and maybe even on the original series, you know they know what vampires are. Um, <laughs> they know what Jack the Ripper is. Uh, of course, that was apparently really a historical figure. Uh, they, they know about magic and warlocks and, and witches, but apparently none of these guys have ever heard of zombies. So uh, maybe that is a, uh, a quirk of 20th century pop culture that didn't make it to the 23rd. But as, as George Romero says, horror 
is a genre that'll never die. <laughs> so, uh, I, I thought that was kind of odd. Yeah, well, it, I don't know. I, I don't think a lot of people like to see serious stuff actually use the word zombie. So, Right. But, I mean, it, they're definitely zombie. These are, out of all of the uh, IDW crossover stuff, right. this is the most zombie-like. With with people getting bitten on the neck and oh okay grotesque. So the uh, well, the other ones kind of do it, and I'll talk about them later. But okay, but I really like this one because this is, you know, they're actually barricading themselves and in, into the rooms and things like that to keep the zombies out. So right, I liked it. Yep. But Maybe. yeah, I mean, there, there's probably stuff that was popular 300 years ago that we don't know anything about. Uh, probably. Oh, definitely. No two ways about it. Uh, however, there are a lot of things that survive. I mean, uh, what Frankenstein, Dracula. I mean, they were they were all written last in the previous uh, century. Right. Actually, not the previous, but but actually, the, it was the in the eighteen hundreds. Yep. Late eighteen hundreds. So there are some things that survive, but yeah, there's probably other things that that don't. Well, you know, you know, Lieutenant Paris would know about the, these guys. <laughs> he would exactly. not be surprised. He He'd be like, oh, I remember stuff. these on the old, what they used to call movies. <laughs> He'd probably know at least half of the uh, half of the George Romero movies. Well, who doesn't? George Romero movies are good. Exactly. They're they're tip, tip of the iceberg, cream of the crop. All right. So uh, I do like how these zombies still have a little bit of their previous know-how, their, their previous training and things like that. I, I thought that was good. I, I don't know if they were just saying because they were newly turned they still had that and eventually they would lose it. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I like that part. I, I feel just the opposite. But <laughs> So I like the book. I like both books. However, I only had a few problems with it. And you just brought one of them up. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, so so the first thing I didn't like about it, we just talked about already. You know, just the idea that nobody knows what a zombie is. So I thought that was a little odd, so that's one thing. We already talked mm-hmm. about that. Right. Um, another thing is they keep their phasers set on stun, and they won't turn it to full, except maybe at the end of this issue, the beginning of the next one. We don't know for sure. But they yet they use metal pipes and wooden boards to absolutely cream these zombies. I mean, they are just... I mean, there's blood flying at these things. I mean, they're, they're cracking these zombies' heads open, which I don't blame them. I would have been... If I was in this story, I would have said, screw you, Kirk. I'm going full. I, you know. Yeah, no, I, I had the same note, that uh, yeah. it, they are inconsistent on on how much damage they can inflict on these colonists. Right, but they won't use a phaser. And quite, quite frankly, it's good that they're not, because the story would be over. I mean... Phasers are pretty awesome weapons. <laughs> Set it to wide, wide well, beam. Wide beam, kill, and you'll just fry them. I mean, <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, you're right. That would. That, uh, but I mean, but that's the damn. That's the. That's what's bad about the whole wide beam thing, and why they don't use it very often is because it's the ultimate trump card. Just yep. stick your hand across the corner, wide beam, boom, everybody's dead. Yeah. You know, you've won. Exactly. A few more. Sure. Um, towards the end, where there's a, where they saw the zombie deer, then they had a panel where they were completely surrounded by zombies. I mean, Kirk had a few like like hanging on his waist, 
and then magically he says run for it and they don't really show how they get away from all those zombies that in some cases are grabbing them they just don't bother showing it but they're they're just they get away from them and right. it's like and I know they I know they drew this panel for the excitement of it because I mean they're really all over them and and they are using pipes to 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 to, to knock some over but they got like three other guys holding them there's no way they wouldn't have been bit or at least somebody get bit but uh, so that was kind of exciting. It was like, oh my god, what's? Uh, and then they, then in the next panel, they cheat and uh-huh. just say, "Run for it!" And then <laughs> you're they're, they they outdistance all the zombies, uh, which I, I have no problem with them outdistancing the zombies if they're running. It's just right. that how the heck did they get out of that situation where they were like completely overwhelmed? Uh, I agree. Wasn't crazy about that. Um, and the last thing is, uh, it, and, and I understand why they they couldn't let them get away in the shuttle. I mean, they could have went up into orbit and just hung out until the Enterprise got there. So, okay, so I do understand they didn't want to spoil the fun, so they they had to take they had to get the uh, shuttle out of the picture. But man, they seem like they they overreacted and blew it up pretty quick. So those are the parts I didn't like. Yeah, but other than that, I liked it. Yeah. Okay. Also, I didn't realize... Okay, this is a fifth one that just came to mind. I didn't know that these communicators were strong enough that they could actually project a subspace signal, you know, incredible distances. I, th- well, I thought it'd be... I thought communicators could get up to something in orbit, but not much beyond that. So, I didn't know that. Well, I thought that... I mean, he he says that it's going to take several days for, for Scotty to get it. So, it's obviously yeah. not punching through like a normal... You know, subspace message. But I agree with you. It was a, it was a little weird. Yeah, and I suppose in some ways. I mean, they say supposedly the TV signals we're, we're generating and and radio signals and stuff. They're like going on into space, and you know, they made a big th- deal out of that at, uh, you know, the Galaxy Quest and everything, and some other things. So I, I, I guess the radio waves keep going, but I don't know. I, I so maybe it would have worked. Maybe I'm being critical for nothing. <laughs> But yeah, you're right. It, it it is inconsistent. I mean, and why couldn't he just patch into the comm system of the shuttle and send it via subspace? Yeah, there you go. Before they had to blow it up. Yep. No, that makes sense. But um, but I mean, there was there was other things that I you know thought was a little odd. So you mentioned the zombie attacking the deer, and the deer is obviously zombified. But the zombies still attack it, so I'm not used to zombies attacking other zombified creatures. Yeah, good point. Good point. And kind of a side note on something that I I did like, and you're probably not familiar with it, but um, in IDW released a miniseries called uh, McCoy Frontier Doctor. Uh-huh. By John Byrne. You, you described it to me. Yeah. So I think the events of that is actually what they're going for him to get that, that medal for. Right. So this is kind of a tie into that in that he's getting a reward for his Frontier Medical Program or whatever it was. Right. So I, I kind of like that. And, uh, you know, you didn't have to read those other books to – you didn't really even know, need to know that. But I just thought it was a nice tie-in. Right. And I liked how they talked about McCoy still not being happy about being drafted back into Starfleet because, as you remember, this would take place right after the motion picture, and in the motion picture, he basically got drafted. He didn't <laughs> didn't want to be part of it, and, and Kirk made him come in. 
with that big shaggy beard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the only other note I have is the... Well, I have two notes. One, I wish they would have had McCoy say, He won't stay dead, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great line. Uh, the other thing was, is it's more or, of or, a, or, or how about, He's dead, Jim. Oh, he's alive, Jim. <laughs> yeah, and those scenes where the zombies are abiding the, the three security guys, those are yeah. pretty cool shots, yeah. I thought. They're pretty graphic, especially yeah. the guy in the, in the neck. Yeah. The, but it never explains why one of them changed faster than the other. They just they just state that it did happen. Yeah, and, and maybe that has something to do with the virus thing. I don't know. Yeah. It's a viral thing, so some people maybe viruses can affect you in different ways. Maybe that's part of the explanation of McCoy saying it's like a virus, but I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. All right, and then the last thing is that, um, and this is more of the, the timeline that they, they chose to put this in, uh, all the promotional uh, flyers and posters and things that, that IDW did to advertise this, mm-hmm. they always showed original series-looking Spock um, with the blue shirt and all that other good stuff. Yeah. So... I was expecting this to come out and be based during that time frame. So when the book actually got released and it was in the post motion picture timeline, I was I was pretty excited. Yeah. Um, but just another little nitpicky thing is that also on those same promotional posters, they also for the GI Joe one they kept showing like Snake Eyes, who's I don't know if you're familiar with GI Joe, but he's probably the most popular GI Joe character. Mm-hmm. But he's not even in any of the books that. Uh, that referenced G.I. Joe, so they were obviously putting their A-list people on the posters, even though they had nothing to do with the stories. Huh. Just, just, just for funny little tape pick. Yeah. And speaking of the some of the promotional stuff showing the original track uniforms, uh, there is a second cover because it does show uh, a very retro kind of, you know, almost like fifties kind of shot of uh, Spock. It's obviously Spock, a blue shirt ears, phaser out, and then a red shirt guy in the background in a very, you know, fanciful kind of um, almost stalactite kind of uh, structure to the right in multiple colors, and uh, I just love it. I think it's great. And then, of well, course, they got, a, they, they got a nasty-looking zombie. And, and, the, it, and the absolute best thing on that cover is that that cover used the old gold key logo. Oh, it's huh. the the Star Trek with the little Enterprise flying through it and everything. With a little line, yeah, through the middle of the uh, yep. of the font. No, when 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 I saw that in the in the store, I was, I was thrilled to death that they actually brought back that that logo, which 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 I really like. Yeah, it is kind of weird. It's 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 cool. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I I didn't get that one. I got the other one when I actually bought it at the store. And I did debate on buying yet another, because uh, I did find a, later at another comic book shop the um, the gold key logo. Right. And I did debate buying it, but I couldn't cough up four bucks for a comic book I already had <laughs> that uh, was just for a different cover. <laughs> ah. Yeah. 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 Plus, you can find them on the internet. You can find the covers. So I I, I got my eye full of it. Good. So, anyways, anything else for issue number one? Nope, that's it. Okay. That's all I have for number one. All right, so we'll do issue number two now. For issue number two, I did get the 
gold key logoed cover. And cool. that one is, I like that cover. <laughs> it's actually pretty funny, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the story. Exactly. But uh, it has, like, some old-school uh, original series, Enterprise original series uh, uniforms on Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and some uh, damsels in distress. Yep. And in a very dramatic pose, Kirk is cradling one of the women in his arms, and his other arm is outstretched with a phaser blasting away at a giant tribble. <laughs> And above with teeth, yeah. Zomb- a zombified tribble, a zombified tribble, and above him you see the Enterprise, and it's just blasting away at a planet that's completely covered with tribbles, uh, these monster tribbles, and uh, you get McCoy saying, "Dead or alive, kill one and two take its place." Obviously, a, a play on the tribbles being born pregnant. Yep, and uh, it was it was hilarious. I, in fact, I, it wasn't until today that I realized that those were supposed to be tribbles. I just thought they were some sort of monsters. Right. And then today I was I was looking at it going, hey, those are zombie t- tribbles. <laughs> cool. <laughs> the and other... also... oh. All right, go ahead. And then they also have the inset with Spock. Yeah. I wasn't going to say that because to me that wasn't all that funny. Well, I don't think it was funny at all. Yeah. Uh, but, but I, yeah, I don't there's... know that it was meant to be funny, but... yeah. And, and it has Spock saying, it's quite illogical that these creatures' life readings are negative, and yet they continue to attack. Yes. So, very retro, has the old Star Trek logo. Yeah. I, I like it. This is yeah. a cool, cool cover. That's very cool. Uh, the other cover was not all that, that uh, great. Basically, they took one of the promotional posters from infestation which has a zombie hand kind of pulling across the page and in the rips of the page you can see a picture of Spock, McCoy and Kirk that's the same poster they used for infestation number one but inside each one of those little rips it was one of the four dimensions like Star Trek, G.I. Joe whatever so I'm assuming that probably all of them, all all the series has had one issue that looked kind of like that but I don't know for sure. So, anyways, enough about the cover. So, we'll go into the credits here. The writer was Scott and David Tipton. Artist by Gary Erskine. That was the pencils and finishes. Casey Mahoney, or Maloney, Maloney. Uh, was the pencil layouts. Louis Antonio Delgado was the colors. Chris Mori was the letters, letterers, uh, Tom Waltz, editor, and Bobby Kernow was the assistant editor. So, so uh, basically the exact same people that did the uh, first one. I wasn't 100%, so that's why I went ahead and read them all. Yep. Yeah, I, I compared as you read. They're oh, the okay. same people. <laughs> right. All right. They so, might have actually produced them at close to the same time. Well, yeah, these. Uh, I guess we should have mentioned that... Uh, this this whole infestation ten book story arc was released weekly, yeah. so it started off on January twenty sixth, and then the next week was Transformers Infestation number one. The week after that, Star Trek Infestation number one. The week after that, Transformers number two. Week after that, Star Trek number two. So uh, these were all released fairly quickly um, to really cash in on the uh, on the crossover, which which is which was good. 
Cool. Start off with a synopsis. So it uh, picks up right where we left off as Spock is trying to open the door to the lab. McCoy and Kirk watch as the approaching zombie horde knocks over that fence and starts heading towards them. Just as they are about to resort to firing on the colonists, Spock gets the door open and they quickly go inside and barricade themselves in in very typical Night of the Living Dead fashion. It is quickly evident, however, that the door will not hold the zombies at bay for long. Inside the lab, the crew find a long row of computer banks. As Spock tries to access one of them to get information about the plague, uh, the screen forms a face and then stands up in all of its robotic glory. So it looks like an old-style supercomputer with arms and legs, and he's standing up, and he starts talking. It's like a refrigerator. <laughs> he does kind of look like a refrigerator. <laughs> all right, so he introduces himself as 37 and relates the story of uh, his creation and the fall of the colony to the crew. So long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. No, just kidding. So long ago, there was a Dr. Williams, uh, Robert Williams, and he was a cybernetic scientist, and he was creating robots. Uh, in his desire to build a more human robot to better fit into society, he started infusing human DNA onto the robot's uh, neurological maps. Uh, he was largely unsuccessful until an assistant named Britt arrived under some very mysterious recommendations. Uh, she's able to use some sort of mind control and basically changes the purpose of his experiments. So once their experiments are complete, she was able to create a cybernetic human virus that then is unleashed on the colony and quickly takes over everybody except for Britt herself. And these, this cybernetic uh, virus was infecting both robotic creatures and humans. You can, there was a couple shots where you can see these giant robots uh, destroying the colony. So uh, the robot named 37 shows the crew uh, Dr. Williams' notes, and he actually shows him Dr. Williams himself. So Dr. Williams is being kept isolated uh, in a little room, but he is in a full-on zombie state. Uh, McCoy is able to use the notes to reverse engineer the virus and create a cure. They tested on Williams. The cure works except for the physical damage uh, that is not reversible. So he's able to think and act human, but he will always look like a zombie. So they start mass-producing the antidote to release into the atmosphere in the hopes that when they release in the atmosphere, it will cure everyone on the planet at once. Uh, before they're able to get everything completed, the zombies break into the lab with the scantily clad Brit in the lead. And she no longer looks like a original series uniform-wearing uh, woman, as she did in some of the flashbacks. Now she looks like her vampire self from the Infestation Number 1 story. So... Very low-cut leather shirt. What would you call that? I'd call it hamana, hamana, hamana. Right. So it's about as low a a plunging dress line as you can get. I think it touches her belly button. I think so. So, anyways, it, it's painted on her and it goes very low. 
she starts to try to stop them. Britt and Kirk have this long fight that ends up with Kirk breaking her neck with a large wrench. Britt is just able to stand up, straightens her head, and basically says, Is that any way to treat a lady? About that time, Britt realizes that what Spock's doing, and she goes to stop him, but she's intercepted by 37 and the other robots. Uh, as she's destroying them and basically tearing them into pieces, uh, McCoy shoots her with the antidote, uh, which does not seem to do anything. Uh, and then there's another quick scuffle with uh, Britt and Kirk, and Britt ends up falling into the zombie antidote vat. And this, I assume, kills her because she never comes back up. The antidote is released into the air, and all the humans are cured of their cannibalistic urges. Kirk is forced to go ahead and place General Order Number 7 on the planet so that no other humans will come to the planet and accidentally get infected because the virus is not cured, it's just uh, forced into a dormant state. Everybody infected will have to stay on the planet, obviously, including the three security officers. And McCoy promises to continue to work on the cure uh, and then the crew walk off and prepare to beam over to the Enterprise or to return to the Enterprise. And that's where it ends. So Brit is stopped. The zombies are kind of cured. And the crew go off to their next adventure. Yep. And I guess it's a good thing they didn't start mowing them down with phasers set on full, huh? Convenient. Yes. Uh-oh. Well, it, it, shows, it shows that they're intelligent compassionate approach to the situation paid off in the end. Huh, I didn't think about it that way. but By not by not blasting everybody with phasers on full. But the ones with big dents in their head from the, the, <laughs> from the, the crowbars, crowbars and, the, and yeah. the pipes and the wooden planks, I mean, they're probably going to be a little sore. I would think so, but you know, they not, for some reason they're not showing those guys. <laughs> well, okay, well, one of the security guys is there, and uh, Kirk Cold cocked him real good. Yeah, what when, when he bit the second guy? So I guess they are zombies, so they heal. But zombies don't heal. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm looking at Padillo, and he looks okay. Well, he's wearing the helmet now. Well, yeah. Well, he's always wearing a helmet. Right. Okay. But, but yeah. you're right. Well. The the cured humans they they're very gray skinned, emaciated looking, but. Uh, they don't have big open sores or anything like you normally see in vampire or zombies. Right. And they're standing so, there with 37. So he, he was not one of the ones that got destroyed when Britt was mowing through all those those robots to no, get No, apparently Nicole. not. Apparently not. Thank goodness. He sent all the other guys. <laughs> hey, yeah, you, you guys, uh, yeah, you try to stop her, okay? Because I'm the smart robot. <laughs> yeah, so... And the crew really, uh, especially Kirk, liked uh, 37 pretty good. Everybody and likes 37. Exactly. He's a nice guy. Uh, the whole thing reminded me of Data and Sung. But... Yeah, I, I was getting that same thing. And I, and I kept waiting for them to actually mention that, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we'll take your research off the planet so that somebody else can continue it or something. But right. uh, they don't ever say anything like that. No. I don't see how you would be able to map human DNA to an electronic neural pathway type thing. Uh, 
Neither do I. I. I know that we read that other IDW one where the robots were able to use DNA and RNA to create a colony that was lost. Remember that one in The Crew? I think number two with uh, number one. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. On that, on that planet that... Uh... Right. Right. I remember that. Yeah, so that one, too, they talked about mapping over DNA onto a robotic shell and somehow creating a a robotic clone, but I didn't buy it then either, so... I don't know how many times they try to force it on me. I ain't buying it. (laughs) So, just on a side note, and you're not going to get this because you haven't read the other ones, but... okay. In this version, Brit looks just like she did in Infestation Number One. Oh. Um, but in the other three, which I'll go into later, and in those, she doesn't look anything like that. So this was the only one that that brought in Brit as the character, and she looked the same way, uh, which right. which I thought was weird. I don't know why they did that. But as you mentioned, her appearance changes because she because in the flashback when. With Doctor Williams, whatever his name was, right? First came into contact with her. She was a comely little short-haired blonde chick that looked like she had a uh, an old-fashioned Starfleet member miniskirt on. Yep, she was dressed like Yeoman Rand. Rand, yeah, yeah, looking pretty good too. Except she has the crazy hypnotic eyeballs. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> they are crazy. <laughs> She was able to brainwash him into changing his research and creating the virus. Yeah. So I, I didn't mention that in the infestation or in the IDW universe, the the zombies were robots and humans because the zombies came from a universe where they have a story called Robots versus Zombies. Yeah. And in that one, the the virus could be transferred from robots or humans. So that that one panel is the only one in the Star Trek one that kind of references that that maybe the zombies could get affected or the robots could get affected too. Yeah, and and about that, I I really didn't that one panel that did show the super huge robots mm-hmm. uh, after everything was infected. I thought that was odd. So. So, so those super huge robots, are they trying to say that, that those were on the colony? Yeah. So the super huge robots were just robots that happened to be around? They, they were other uh, robots that Dr. Williams or whatever his name is had created? Other than 37? Well, that's what, I, it, was, that's what I was assuming, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that threw me off. Yeah. It, and, and they just did it in the one panel, and then it was, you know, moving on. Right, and you never see those robots again. Yeah. Yeah, I could have done without the that that panel. I mean, they could have just shown people being affected by the zombie plague and and attacking right. each other. You didn't need to see the robots attacking the people too. Right. But one thing I do like in that panel where it looks like it's the end of the world. I mean, explosions are going, bodies are everywhere, people are holding their heads, people are being grabbed aloft by these huge deadly robots and then in the middle of all of this Armageddon stuff you've got Brit walking vain gloriously out of it going yeah you know yeah that was kind of cool I like that yeah it is cool yep I liked it I like that part I just didn't like the the robot thing I mean yep. I'm assuming robot. I'm assuming yeah. they threw that in there to kind of tie it in with the robot human 
zombie plague that was going on in the IDW universe, but right. I don't think it was necessarily needed here. Yeah. And by the way, I'm going to have to get my hands on that comic. Zombies versus robots? Yeah. That sounds wacky. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, They it came out a few years ago, and it was like a miniseries. Yeah. And then they're bringing it back now, and they're tying it in with this other zombie infestation thing. Hmm. Um, we'll talk about it after this, but they're actually spinning that off into another miniseries, which which will be like a continuation of this infestation storyline. No. But more on that in a minute. All right. Yeah, and the last thing I have on this is that I like how the zombie thing is not necessarily cured or completely wiped out. That there's it's a little open ended, and that uh, this dormant virus could end up getting loose again and and maybe right. playing havoc in future Star Trek stories. Yeah. Now, related to that, just because of other zombie stories that have been coming in Marvel and 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 other. Actually, mainly Marvel. It's. I, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised about it, but I, I just seem to be surprised how pat the ending was in here, where the the at least the immediate zombie problem on that colony was solved. I mean, the people were all you know not a hundred percent back to normal again. They still looked all gray and nasty looking. Which, by the way, that I like too. Instead of everybody magically coming back to their normal original form after being dead and zombie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad they did not say that everybody was like back to normal. Oh yeah, we get to be colonists again, happy people. Right. So I like that, but I was I was kind of surprised how how pat an ending there was. Uh, I just expected this to keep on going. Um, but so you you wanted them to take over the whole world and then have to have the Enterprise come in there and crack the planet open and kill everybody, uh, or it spread beyond that planet. So it was a bigger problem for the Federation. And who knows, in the end, like you say, it is open-ended to some degree with the dormant zombie virus. That could still happen. Yeah, I'm, th- and this is me just really reaching and thinking that it might be an interesting story and, and maybe they'll do it. But I was kind of wondering if they were kind of setting this up. And, you know, like you said, there was a lot of nods to data that maybe they would end up bringing this same storyline into the next generation and have this human slash cybernetic zombie virus get loose on Enterprise D or something like that and have data affected. Right. But so I have no qu- idea if that's what they're going to do. Question for you, Donovan. Most of the IDW stuff I've seen has been with the original cast. Although definitely when they did the comic book version of the uh, of what led up to the 2009 movie mm-hmm. that had the next gen folks in there. Do they do a lot of next-gen stuff, IDW? Uh, the majority of their stuff has been uh, the original series. Right. Um, there was there was a little bit of the New Frontier. They had that one miniseries, New Frontiers. Right. Uh, they've had a couple of next-generation miniseries. Um, but, but I would say probably 70% of their stuff is original series. And the other 30% would be they've had one Deep Space Nine miniseries, a couple of Enterprise... Uh, an enterprise uh, next generation and then some other like one-off type stuff like a Gary 7 one and uh, yeah right and like new frontiers right well I do like how they seem to have their pick of the um, of the different sub franchises of Star Trek 
I like that. Yeah, I wish they would do an Enterprise one, though. I want to see Captain Archer at least once. Right. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. I'm sure they'll get to it. I don't know. I'll be honest. I'd rather see a Captain Archer one than a Khan one about Khan's years on uh, that the planet regular they got. Regular 7. Yeah, or regular 5 or whatever it was. 5 or whatever. Yeah, so anyways, that's just me. That's just me talking. So anyways, you were talking about the Marvel thing, so you're talking about Marvel versus or Marvel's Marvel Zombies? Yeah, Marvel Zombies, I mean the Marvel Zombie infestation is total. I mean, uh but uh, like you had mentioned before we started recording, I guess that's supposed to be some kind of alternate dimension or something. But uh the whole planet go, I mean, except for maybe pockets of people, pretty much the whole planet goes. And the Marvel zombie superheroes uh, run out of food, so they leave the planet and eat the krill and a lot of other things. <laughs> so it's funny how total that was. I mean, they went they went all out with the zombie thing. Where right. here, you know, there was a solution. It was pretty well controlled, which kind of that's kind of in keeping with with Star Trek. I mean, right? You know, usually there's a happy ending and and things are pretty, you know. Yeah. Pretty much status quo continues. But another big difference about the zombies here versus the zombies in Marvel Zombies is that in Marvel Zombies, the the heroes still had their wits about them. So they still knew who yes. they were. They yeah. still knew what they were doing was wrong, but they just yeah. couldn't fight the cannibalistic urges. Right. But, which I, I really liked that and that, you know, you had the heroes basically, you know, realizing that they're really the worst villains that there ever could have been because yep. they're so powerful that no human can stop them so they were able to basically eat eat everybody <laughs> <laughs> literally right which which was a really cool storyline the first couple of miniseries and then by Marvel Zombies 4 I was like been there done that and I quit reading it but I, I probably yeah. should go back and pick it up because I love me some zombies yeah well, I did like reading one issue of that. Of I don't know which Marvel Zombies it is, but it has... Uh, and we will get back to Star Trek in a second. Um, <laughs> it has, like, like years after all the superheroes left, zombie superheroes left, um, Black Panther, was it like, like 20 years later or something? Black Panther and a colony of people are, are still there uh, uh, at Earth, mm-hmm. surviving. So I thought that was kind of an interesting issue introducing me into another little mini series uh where eventually the <laughs> the zombified guy you know superheroes come back. So I got to get the next issue. And you're reading the issues or you're reading the graphic novels? Uh issues. Oh, so you're So I've got the I've got the um on the iPad Oh, okay. Through the iPad, you it, it makes it really easy for you to be able to buy individual issues. Yep, yep. So I've I, I've I've been smattering and jumping around and uh, reading a lot of Marvel comics that way. Oh, that's cool. It's really a pretty good deal because uh, they they have many of them for free to kind of like give you a taste, like the first issue of a series. Mm-hmm. They'll give you a little taste and give you a free download. And then hoping you'll get hooked and you'll go ahead and uh, you know pay for the rest of them. Oh, that's cool. Which I haven't. I've only paid for a few so far. But hmm. And, and 
we we could talk offline, but which which of the Marvel zombies is that? Is that four or five? I I'll tell you after we're done recording. Okay. But um, I yeah, I I had to I had to grab my iPad and, and look. Okay, I don't remember these. No problem. Number. All right, any any other notes on on this one? Um, let's see. I think a lot of it I said already. Well, you didn't really talk about 37 uh, much other than hey, he looked like a refrigerator. Well, okay, so 37 and the other rob- robots, they reminded me of like 1950s robots or maybe some of the robots that were on the the sand crawler <laughs> in Star Wars A New Hope. You know, some of those little guys in the back. Right. Yeah, because they know? have, he has uh, the gunk droid type feet. Like, um, the gunk droid is one of the uh, robots on Star Wars. Oh, cool. I didn't know the name. Hmm. Yeah, so it reminded me a little bit of, like, like old 50s stuff, or maybe some of the Star Wars stuff. Yeah, but... Well, I, it, I thought it was a very odd design. I mean, kind of endearing, you know? I mean, you're like, hey, cute little robots, but uh, kind of weird looking. They're not kinda little, retro. man. They're huge. Well... Well, yeah, okay. So it's taller than it's taller than the people. So maybe what was it like nine foot tall when it stands up and stuff? Yeah, something like ten that. maybe. It's it's, size. it's big. Yeah. You would not want that bad boy falling on you. <laughs> yeah, what I didn't understand no. was like sometimes his face would turn into like little running river type look and things like that. Well, I mean, was he supposed to be some sort of emoticon or something? Uh I don't know, but. Um... His face was basically a monitor, so right. a TV screen. Right. So he could project anything he wanted up there. I think that's why some different different things were were, were put up there. He could only project things that looked like a 1980s IBM monitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, right. Oh, so so when you said emoticon, you were really like meaning the old kind of. Uh, you know, using parentheses right, and periods exactly. and that kind of stuff, right? Eh, a little bit like that. It, it was definitely retro. Right. So when Britt and Kirk have their little fight, I mean, right. he he tries to kill her. I mean, he yeah. he breaks her neck and it shows her head twirled around. Yep. And then she able to whip it back around like a what was that movie with uh, with Goldie Hawn where she had to. Her head, oh, death becomes that was a weird me, one. something like that. Yeah, right. And she does the same thing, pulls her head around, Bruce Willis snaps and, it back. Right, because they, they've had so many plastic surgeries or something, they can do stuff like that. <laughs> Whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, who was it? Glenn Close was the, the older woman in that? Ah, uh, could have been. It was a bad movie. <laughs> yeah. But anyways... Yeah, but, but, uh, but the competing ones, it was Goldie Hawn, and who was the what, the other one? I thought it was Glenn Close or someone like that. Was it Glenn Close? Mm. I might be wrong. I don't yeah, know. Whatever. I haven't yeah. seen it in forever. Yeah, and I never saw the whole thing myself. It just wasn't a good movie. Mm. For, I, don't, I don't think. But anyways, I just thought it was odd that he's he goes on and on about how you're not supposed to kill the colonists. Right. And, I mean, he hits her hard enough to spin her head around. <laughs> How hard was well, he okay. hitting those others? First off, he knows she's not a colonist. Well, she she's something though. Well, I know, but but yeah, but she's uh, yeah yeah she is the she is the genesis. She is the uh, the person that brought this blight upon the planet. I mean, uh, thirty seven told him her backstory, or well, backstory. You know how she came into the planet and basically brought all this stuff to the planet. She's not a colonist. She's got teeth, 
and I think he knows she's a vampire. So it's time <laughs> to take her out. Although he never says it, just like he, he never does not uses say a zombie. It. Yeah, that's true, because he is a, um advanced species of the future human race. <laughs> so, anyways, I, I did think uh, when Kirk starts using the uh, antidote gun, his choice right. of places to shoot her was odd. Oh, at her back at first? <laughs> well, McCoy shoots her in the back, and then she turns around, and then when when Kirk gets the gun, he just shoots her in the uh, chest Cleavage. area. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lots of times. Yep. But it never stops her. She keeps on going. Yep, yep. And as she's lunging at him, good point. She's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh, little little bullet inoculation things uh, hanging out of her cleavage. (laughs) So we know where Kirk was looking. Exactly. (laughs) Well, how could he really avoid his eyes? Yeah. She's a pretty happening-looking milf there. A little muscular though. Yeah, was... but she's superhero, I guess. Yep, and and like I said, that is exactly how she looked like in Infestation Number One. No, oh, like like with the gray hair and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. like I said, she was a vampire that got bitten by a zombie and became the vampire zombie. Right. Hive mind. And, a, and another thing I'm wondering about is when the backstory was being told by Thirty Seven, he talked about her transmitting technical information elsewhere. Don't know where. And I kind of wondered, since you read all the other books, was was she transmitting uh, advanced technical information to any of these other worlds, or what, what, what was that? Do you know? No, where does he say that? Uh, it's when they're talking about the Genesis stuff. Uh, you know, the, the backstory of how all this happened. Yeah. He said... Okay, here it is. Uh, okay. I have information... So 30, this is 37. I have some information that may add some urgency to our situation. I do not know where Britt has gone, but she periodically returns to attend to certain technologies she has established. If... Oh, well, that's not the right spot. Uh, where it sounds like... Uh, uh, where he sounded like he was saying... She was transmitting information elsewhere. Hmm. I, I missed that part. That might might be because, um, but they don't ever talk about it. They, they, I'll go into the other ones here in a second. And these these four stories uh, that happened outside of IDW or the um, infestation number one and two might as well have not happened. It. All in all, it was kind of a poor crossover, but right. But except for they all had Brit in them. Uh, but as far as did she succeed in any one, and and did it help her in the in the book bookend? Uh, no. Okay, but we'll talk about it here in a second. Are, are we done okay. with uh, this one? Uh yes, I'm done with my comments. All right, so just real quick, we're going to go over the other three infestation story arcs very briefly if you want to get more details obviously you can pop over and and download these or off of iTunes I think or you can buy them at the comic book store so here we go Transformers number one actually I'm just going to be kind of Transformers number one and two 
of the Infestation story arc. So basically what happens is that Galvatron shows up to Las Vegas warning of a zombie plague. The Autobots do not believe him, and then even after a zombie plague starts in Vegas, they still think it's some sort of trick. They don't start working together until they realize that there is a new Decepticon among them and Galvatron's forces that's actually the vampire Brit from the IDW-verse. So she looks just like a Decepticon, and in fact, they kind of remember her from the past, and then it's realized that, hey, we don't know you, and you're messing with our brains to think that we have this this history. Anyways, the zombie, uh, or the Decepticon Brit, uh, is trying to bring in the zombie infestation. She actually... They actually bite an Autobot named Cup, who's from the old cartoon, and he becomes a zombie. Uh, and then Brit's able to use some technology from their universe to create a time portal, and she plans to use it to take over Cybertron in the past, um, very close to what the Borg tried to do in Star Trek First Contact. The converted Cup is able to regain a little bit of his consciousness, and he's able to reprogram the time portal to put Brit and the rest of the zombies into a dead universe. And that's pretty much it. So he basically sacrifices himself to save Earth. So basically that one was overall a story on how the Autobots and the Decepticons needed to work together but had these trust issues. Hmm. Anyways. As you'd expect, given their history. Right. So I, I was confused mainly on this one is because I don't follow Transformers. Uh, I was a huge Transformers fan when I was a kid, but I wasn't sure which universe this was in. Was this the movie universe? Because they didn't look like the movie people, but it had a Witwicky character who was riding around in a robot suit. So I, I was like, well, is that supposed to be from the movie? Is that supposed to be the cartoon or some other universe? So that part kind of took me out of it just because... I didn't know what was going on, but overall it was okay. It was it was kind of cool to see the zombies attacking humans and robots. And That's, it's it's just it's just the whole idea of a transformer zombie thing is just so weird. Yeah, uh, you, you should actually look that up because when when that Autobot becomes a zombie, he looks actually pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, he's like falling apart and trying to bite people. <laughs> it's a robot. Uh, but what was actually cool about this one is that it was written by Dan Abnett, who oh, wrote cool. a lot of yeah. the Star Trek early voyages and Star Trek uh, Unlimited for the Marvel uh, Marvel series is in the nineties. Right. So, all right. Then uh, also there was the GI Joe infestation. In this one, Cobra agents intercept the Joe transport. They take the leader of the Joe team and the cargo to a underwater headquarters that is being used to create what they call BATS, which are battle attack troopers, which are basically robotic troopers. They find out that the cargo was a single cybernetic arm. And then when a woman scientist tries to scan the arm, it starts a computer virus that takes over all of the robots in the factory. The scientist that was doing the scanning actually becomes infused with cybernetic parts herself in a very bored queen-looking event. The Joe leader must work with the Cobra character called the Baroness. I don't know how familiar you are with G.I. Joe, but this Joe leader uh, has to become team up with the Baroness in order to escape, and they have to stop the virus before it can get out from this 
lab and, and take over the world. They're able to stop the virus and destroy the the lab, but the Baroness is the only one who ends up surviving. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I read through this whole story and I was like, well, where was Brit? Because she wasn't even in this one. And then when you read Infestation number two, they say that this, this woman, this woman scientist was Brit, which I thought was huh. weird because in all the other stories, the Brit character isn't somebody else that then becomes, accidentally becomes possessed by Brit or something like that. So in, in Star Trek, she was she was a person that then manipulated the doctor to create the virus. In Transformers, right. she was a Decepticon that was trying to deceive the Autobots and, and Decepticons. And in the Ghostbusters, which we'll read here in a minute, she was a ghost. So th this one was just weird. It was, it, and there was no zombies in it. It was all just, it was basically a, a computer virus uh, hacks in and takes over these robots that then start attacking the humans, but they're not biting them or anything. So there was absolutely no zombie business going on in that story, which which I thought was a weird tie. That's odd. Yeah, that's very odd. But it was all right. And then lastly was the Ghostbusters one. In this one, Britt shows up as a vampire ghost-looking thing, and she has uh, like a, maybe eight or so zombies with her. These zombies don't attack people, but they start attacking ghosts. So, or the ghosts start attacking them. Basically, there's like a they attract each other. So the zombies are bodies without a spirit, and the ghosts are spirits without a body, and they attract each other. Uh, at the same time, the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man shows up again. <laughs> I thought he was destroyed. Well, he was destroyed. In the original movie. Yeah, but what they say is that he basically was evaporated, and then over time, his molecules were coming back together, and, and they just happened to come back together at this moment. So basically, Stay Puff starts attacking New York. Uh, the zombies are attracted. <laughs> <laughs> the zombies are attracted to him, and instead of like trying to eat Stay Puff, they're actually absorbed by Stay Puff, and then Stay Puff actually then splits into two. So there's now the normal Stay Puff and then a zombie Stay Puff, and they start attacking each other. <laughs> and as the Stay Puffs are keeping the Ghostbusters busy, uh, Britt is able to steal one of the ghost traps from Ghostbusters headquarters that has a poltergeist in it. And she says this will help her free the Undermind or whatever. And then basically the Ghostbusters sit around watching Stay Puffs fight each other. Uh, they do start releasing some captured ghosts that then are absorbed by the zombie Stay Puff that who eventually explodes. And then after that, the normal Stay Puft uh, then evaporates because of the unnatural split that occurred with him becoming a zombie. And that was it. So the, the story is really lighthearted and, and very funny. So just like you would expect in a, a Ghostbusters story. So right. I really enjoyed that one, these two, probably more than any of the other ones, just because it was like reading, it was like reading a movie. <laughs> it was huh. pretty funny. Okay. Um and to me, it was the only one where Britt actually won. She didn't have a big part in it, but she did show up. She did kind of manipulate the Ghostbusters into going to focus on the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man while she stole the, the ghost trap. And then she leaves with the ghost trap saying that it's going to help her you know, with this dimensional gate thing. So I did think it was funny that out of the four, this was the only one where I think she actually kind of won. 
But then we're about to get into it. Infestation number two. They make no mention of that, other than that, other than that she did go to four universes. But they don't say whether she won in in any of them or lost. But basically, real quick, because I know I'm talking a long time. In that one, Brit is infused with her four counterparts from the other dimension. So the four spirits come back into the the real Brit. The zombies are taking over Washington D.C. Brit is able to bring the Undermine into this dimension, and when he shows up, it actually looks pretty cool. He's a a face that's created by writhing humans. So, like his hmm. as he he's making faces, it's it's like the the people that make up his face are pulling their legs in together or whatever. It's it's a pretty cool visual. Remind hmm. reminds me of the Gates of Hell that Dante or not Dante. Uh, uh what was his Who's the artist that did the thinker, um, Rodan? Rodan. Yeah, mm-hmm. so he did like a Gates of Hell thing where the the gate is or the frame of the doorway is all writhing humans and stuff. Oh. It, it looks very reminiscent to that. It's 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 pretty cool. Cool. So anyway, so the the Undermind is now taking physical presence in in this universe. So the CVO leader, and remember, he's the vampire. Navy SEAL type character uh, he basically uh, thinks that the only way to win is to become bitten himself so he allows himself to get bitten then he again turns into a vampire zombie hybrid but he's able to withstand the Undermine's control he and Brit have a battle and he basically forces the Undermine back into its own dimension and sacrifices himself and Brit and then there's an epilogue which shows the CVO team thinking that he's dead and that the, you see the government cleaning up all the dead bodies off of Washington. Then the last of, shot of the comic shows the the Stephen guy standing above his grave. And then there's a little caption that says, this is the end, but also only the beginning. And then the next page shows that the infestation storyline actually kind of continues into the zombie versus robot universe in a miniseries called Undercity. And then it's going to continue in the CVO universe in a miniseries called Outbreak. So anyways, like I said, the four crossovers had absolutely nothing to do with the ultimate story. Right. Which was a little little disappointing because, you know, when Marvel and DC and and other big comic book companies have their crossovers. You know, they have their main story, and then all their normal publications kind of tie into that event. Yes. Like right. Civil War and in, in Marvel, yes. and DC has, you know, Infinite Crises and things like that. You know, you don't have to read all those other stories, but if you do, it kind of ties in with the story, and, and you feel like it did matter to the overall story, where yep. I didn't get that from this. I felt like, yeah, they all had zombies, kind of. But ultimately, they didn't really feel like they fit all together. No. The different writing teams did their own thing. Yeah. Well, which is okay. I mean, but I don't know. I would have liked, you know, like like her stealing the ghost trap from Ghostbusters or her being able to communicate in Star Trek that, that you pointed out. I, I would have liked them for them to have mentioned that, you know, that, that did help her in this universe or... To do something. Right. But, that pose a threat. Yeah. But aside from that, and, and I think I mentioned last week, when this was being 
advertised, I was really stoked because these are like four of my favorite franchises from when I was a kid. You know, because right. when I was in like fourth grade, I loved Transformers, and then fifth grade it was GI Joe, and sixth grade it was Ghostbusters, and then seventh grade and pretty much on it was it was uh, Star Trek. You know, for them to do this, I was like really excited because I was like, these are <laughs> this is my childhood, and it's zombies, which I love, so this is going to be great. But eh, it was good, but it wasn't great. <laughs> so anyways so sorry to ramble on just thought that we would give you a high level uh, idea of what was going on in the other stories hopefully somebody and that was good that, that, that helps round things out hopefully somebody actually stuck around and listened yeah it's so, good man so I'm not going to do an elsewhere because uh, I don't think there was anything going on in January but if there is we'll talk about it later when we do some of the other comic books that were being released in January of 2011. All right, well, that being said, we're going to close up this episode and talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. With Donovan again. Exactly. Bye. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.